Gary Coleman and Steve Allen host a Halloween classic, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Has anyone in here actually ever seen a ghost? The local school teacher doesn't believe in ghosts until... It was a headless horseman. Did you see him? A world premiere Halloween, Friday on NBC. horror and sci-fi television show for a podcast for all of our newer listeners out there and for all of those returning thank you very much and happy halloween we are here today with hosts allison hello drew hello and myself i am andy uh we are down a host today due to scheduling reasons but we will persevere nonetheless and uh what is our topic today we're covering sleepy hollow uh no, not the Bing Crosby. Oh, that uh, is excellent. <laughs> no, not uh, not uh, Christina Ricci and Johnny Depp. No, we're talking about <laughs> Jeff Goldblum's Sleepy Hollow from 1980. And he is gold it up in this one. He really is. He's on maximum Goldblum. <laughs> Which is amazing because this is, like, I was looking through his IMDb. And he had a bunch of, like, co-starring roles, but this is, like, I think his first starring role. So he was just gold-blooming it from the beginning. Yeah, he really, he really was. So real quick, before we get into it, um, this we are going to get in-depth, full spoilers. I feel like the, the basis of the story for this, the legend of Sleepy Hollow that was written by Washington Irving, is widely well-known. But if you don't know the story or you don't want spoilers, and also this TV movie does take a lot of liberties with the story, yeah. you can find this <laughs> readily available on YouTube. You're looking for the 1980 um, television, made-for-television version of this story. There are a lot of other versions out there, but this one's really easy to find if you just Google Legend of Sleepy Hollow 1980 or Jeff, tag Jeff Goldblum's name to it. You'll This will pop right up. And it'll be readily available. Also wanted to mention, I totally said we were going to cover Tower of Terror last time. And that was actually slated to be a late August, early September episode. But, you know, this is a year where you make plans and the universe laughs. So we're still going to do that at a later date. It's going to happen. We'll announce it when we know for sure. It's definitely on the docket for this year. But we wanted to bring you something that was very Halloween-centric this year. And this this tale just exudes Halloween. This particular version aired on Halloween night on NBC in 1980. And so we just thought, this is a great story. And we talked a little bit about the, um, the Disney animated version when we did our Halloween special special back in 2018 with our uh, guest Nathan Toll. So if you haven't heard that episode and you want to hear a little bit more about Halloween specials or and hear what our favorites were and you want to hear 
from our guest Nathan. Definitely go back and check that that episode out. All right, guys, you ready to get into some some uh, Ichabod Crane? Of course. <laughs> yeah, some some uh, Sleepy Hollow, which is a story that doesn't technically ever mention Halloween. And this version, they for some reason set it in winter, mm-hmm. um, but still aired it on Halloween. It's it's a very Halloween story, but because it was written before America really involved itself with Halloween, it is technically doesn't have Halloween in it. It's a harvest festival ghost story. Except for in originally. this in this television movie, it takes place in wintertime. I think in most versions of this story, it's fall, and you because right. there's. Because it literally just, says Harvest Festival in the story, but then they made it yeah. a winter festival instead for this one. In the original, in the original text, there's a lot of really vivid description of the autumn season and abundant harvest, which is, you know, part of what we love about fall. And um, honestly, I mean, I don't want to like start knocking this TV movie because I do enjoy it, and it was kind of my idea. But my only real big uh, take or. I guess my only big uh, detraction from this is that it's there's a lot of snow in this version and it's very wintry. And part of what I love about this story is it's quintessential fall spooky feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, winter is a great time for ghost stories as well. But the fact that the television movie that aired on Halloween night was one that was blanketed in snow throughout was just a little bit. It was a little bit off-putting to me, but I still, I mean, it's just so worth it for Jeff Goldblum um, in his early performance. Do we want to talk a little bit? Do we want to do maybe a rundown our, on the all-star cast? Yeah, the, the, the cast and then go over. Um, well, I guess it's all-star if you watch a lot of B-movies and yeah. And and love uh, pop culture from the seventies and eighties. Right, it's got a really interesting cast, so I feel like it's it's definitely worth talking about. So we have Jeff Goldblum as Ichabod Crane, and it's honestly perfect casting. I mean, there are a few other actors that could do a really Ichabod, a really good Ichabod Crane, I imagine. And I feel like as much as I um, on other podcasts have kind of ripped on Johnny Depp mostly for his later career, I will say. Um, Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow is a movie that I really enjoy. It's dripping with atmosphere. I think the sets and the costumes are gorgeous. And Johnny Depp does a good job. Um, it's there's not it's it's about the time when I start to get a little bit more irritated with it's with Tim Burton and Johnny Depp, but it was when they were still trying. Yeah. That, to um, make good movies. Uh, they weren't I, just Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. I was going to say, I, I watched it recently with my roommates because we are all very big fans of the Johnny Depp, Tim Burton, um, Sleepy Hollow in this apartment. And it, it all of us agree that that is one of the last movies where either and or both of them apparently tried to make a good movie instead of just hamming it up, doing whatever they felt like. So, Right. At least together. Because Big together. Fish, yeah. I will... Oh, Big Fish is great. Big Fish I is fantastic. I will defend yes. my death as being possibly his best movie mm-hmm. they're both they're both very talented people and i guess my big beef with them is that in later productions you know like dark shadows is a is a really good example um i also intensely hated their uh charlie and the chocolate factory version there are parts that made me laugh but most of it was just really annoying and it just thought you know you guys 
need to, you know, they're not, they're not hungry anymore or caring enough about the material to really or something bring their, their best, their best game. Like, I mean, I think we'll get into it when we do more dark shadows coverage, but I just think if you say you're a fan of something, then why would you want to just sarcastically mock it in your film recreation the whole time? Like it's, it's kind of an offensive thing to do to all the hardcore fans of the show. Um, so yeah, I just, it's this, I just kind of get this, like, we can do whatever we want vibe from them. And so, and they seem to, it seems to be worse when they do things together now. So mm-hmm. this, this their, their production of Sleepy Hollow, I think was excellent. I know some people don't care for it, but I, I think it was excellent. Um, and I enjoyed the supporting cast as well, even though, you know, one of them's a sex offender. Um. Um, <laughs> now that I've, I've watched, uh, now we've, I've seen three different film adaptations. Um, I mean, this is a film. It's a made-for-TV film, but it's a film. Uh, and then last night we went through the entire original story together, like the actual story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... we found a we found a really decent um, audiobook version that was also on YouTube. And if people are interested, um, I know that a lot of people are busy, and I recommend reading this story if you have the time because it's about a 25 page long short story the original one but if you don't have time and like maybe you're like me and you're listening to radio and podcasts all the time while you're working and doing other things having it read by a decent you know a decent voice actor is kind of a nice way to go so we listened to the original version of the story last night to have some comparison right and uh the disney cartoon for once is actually the closest to the material the original material <laughs> it really is yeah and that it's was also that was my, my understanding too is that uh yeah the disney cartoon the, the ending it, wherein he runs away and is scared out of town is the the most accurate right and the fact that you know like it's Ichabod is, you know, like he's just after the money. He's not really hugely into um, uh, uh, the Van Tassel. What's it? Katrina Van Katrina. Tassel. Yeah, he's very physically attracted to her, but he's not, like, in love with her, really. Right. He's just like, she'll do, and look at all <laughs> the money we have. <laughs> like, in, in the story, he literally talks about how, like, once the dad's dead, he'll take all the money away from there and move to like some place like Kentucky or something and and live in the good life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like there's actual there's actual sequences that are very vividly described about Ichabod and his skittishness out when he's out alone in nature and the way the wind whips through the trees and the the reedy grasses and things that actually is described and then later animated in the Disney short. And so, um, and also like where he's visualizing the farm just being loaded with money. And so they, the animators for that really took the time to take the text and make it, you know, very visually, visually expressed and it's, and it's gorgeous animation. And, and I think that's really cool. I mean, they basically, they basically cut out all the like, kind of boring parts or the background descriptions of who's who and what people's, you know, stuff. And, and they managed to cut out 
there's definitely still a lot of sexism from the original text that's and in the cartoon, but they very racist but talk. There's mm-hmm. some yeah. So But you gotta remember it was written in eighteen twenty by a like an upper class white dude. So Yeah, from so you're that's your perspective. And so, you know, women women definitely are not considered you know, equal human beings and people of color are definitely not considered equal human beings. There are some disparaging, I guess I thought, I think he thought he was being kind in his writing, but his commentary on um, black people in the original story that I'm guessing were slaves based on the context of what's happening is just very offensive. (laughs) So... I don't, you know, I, I recommend... Be warned if you're going to read it. I recommend or... I recommend checking it out for a classic story, but with a huge, a huge grain of salt. You know, like it's the voice, the voice of from which you're, you're being told the story is one from a wealthy white guy. So, yeah. And it's, you know, it's kind of his, he's having a lot of nostalgia for an era that he knew as a child because... Right. Were you saying what what year does the story take place? So the story takes place uh, seventeen ninety, I believe, and he wrote it thirty years later. And he was like, uh, he would have been like seven when this story is supposed to take place. Because hmm. he was born at the end of the Revolutionary War and was named after General Washington before he became President Washington. And the story's based in the very first year of Washington, well, the very first year of presidency ever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is funny, because like I always think of this story as like a period piece, but when he wrote it, it would be like if we wrote about a story in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it was just a nostalgia thing for him. Right. It was mm-hmm. just like a nostalgia, my childhood memoirs, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway, the the 1980 production, in addition to having um, having Jeff Goldblum, uh, it has Meg Foster as Katrina Van Tassel. And Meg Foster, if you're at all into genre exploitation cinema you're probably familiar with with her because she is an actress that just has these piercing blue eyes and you the minute you see her she's unmistakable um she was once quoted as she gets hired because she comes with her own special effects makeup right (laughs) she's she's in they live she's in lords of salem Uh, i guess she was also in 31 which i did not see but um, she's done. She's still acting currently. Right, so those are two new things. She, yeah, she's done a ton of horror and sci-fi television, starting in I want to say the early '80s. And so we just see her randomly in things all the time. She has a huge filmography. Right, a lot of B movie stuff mostly, but um, well, definitely and- worth checking out any of her films because she's in. Of bad B-movies, she's in the best ones, (laughs) if that makes sense. She also always gives a solid performance. She's kind of, you know, like a little bit mysterious and ethereal as Katrina in this. And I I always felt like the character of Katrina was a little bit more earthy and flirty. And, you know, the way she's depicted in the animated version by Disney is 
pretty close to how she's described in the story. And then, you know, I feel like Christina Rishi does kind of a version of that as well. That's, um, you know, that she's a flirty spitfire. And mm. this version of Katrina is a little bit, not quite, I don't know, she didn't quite fit the bill for me, although I do really enjoy well, in this Meg version, Foster. she's like kind of a grew up in the country girl that wishes she was growing up in the city kind of girl. Anything more sophisticated and whatnot she's into. So she's into to Ichabod. Yeah, because he uh, he can recite poetry and is romantic and would take a moonlit walk with her and so on. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. yes. She doesn't need a big, strong man like Brom Bones. Well, and also, uh, there's Brom Bones who we... Okay, let, we'll we'll get into that next. Dick Butkus. Yeah, Dick Buttkiss. <laughs> Sorry. All right, yeah. What is that? Alice, NF, NFL Hall of Famer, Dick, Dick Buttkiss. Oh, uh, <laughs> anyways. Um, All-American football player uh, turned actor, Dick Buttkiss, uh, is in a lot of stuff just as himself. <laughs> Just because he's kind of a personality on his own. And when he's acting a different character, it's basically Dick Buckus. It's like um, Jeff Goldblum in this is Jeff Goldblooming it up. Dick Buckus is J- Dick Buckusing it. That's probably <laughs> that 10 times fast, man. Also, a strange choice, I thought, for the character of Brom Bones, because Brom Bones is, I mean, he's a, I guess, you know, they thought we'll have a bigger athletic guy play this character but they're all supposed to be i think a bit on the younger side in the story i mean katrina's supposed to be 18 i didn't get the impression that brahm is that much older than her in the original story oh, right and and <laughs> dick Buck just kind of looks like an old middle-aged man in this you know like he's he looks like if you actually think about it in this version because when it's set if you were unmarried in your 20s you were past your prime, you know? Yeah. These yeah. people were well past their prime. Well, they, they, I think everyone was at least in their 30s by now. But they knocked it out of the park with with Jeff Goldblum as Ichabod Crane because he looks the part and he looks really youthful. And I don't think he I don't think he was terribly right. old in this role. But not that Well you and know, Ichabod was always a little bit the older one mm-hmm. in story. Yeah, but I got, um, um, from Brombones in this, I got definite kind of mountain man, been out in the woods, trapper vibes. Not, not uh, like, you know, not like chisel. upstate New York guy. It's kind of what Brombones is, you know? Just, mm-hmm. when I see Dick Buckus, I just, all I can think of is Dick Buckus being Dick Buckus, so. <laughs> how many times am I saying that name? Um, anyways. When we first introduced him, he introduces himself as, uh, I'm Brom Bones. I'm half horse, half bear, and two-thirds wildcat. (laughs) (laughs) And meaner than turpentine tonic. And not good at math. (laughs) No. (laughs) He needed, he's good with pie, but not the pie chart. (laughs) Right. Yeah, so so if you you might have seen Dick Buckus if you're a fan of Gremlins too, he's does he play himself in that? I Is think that one? So. Yeah. Yeah. And um, something that we might cover down the road is um, 
you know, they we did that. We did the Stepford Wives, Revenge of the Stepford Wives. There's also a television movie called The Stepford Children, and apparently he's in that as well. So he hmm. might. Is he playing Dick Buckus in it? <laughs> you know, I'm not. I'm not sure. I wonder if he's a Stepford so, child. Right. So, <laughs> anyway, he's you know he's an interesting he's an interesting character in this. He's definitely entertaining in this, and he makes a convincing bully. So I guess maybe. I just, I was put off by the fact that he looked so much older than I thought he should be in comparison to what his character is, but he, he does a good job. He's definitely entertaining and he, he adds lots of, um, kind of that, that brash bullying Brom Bones type character. Mm-hmm. He's able to pull that off pretty well. So maybe I'm being a little bit too hard. Well, I, guess. I think if you think about it, that. This came out in the 80s, and in the story, it's all kind of set on the idea that um, all of these characters are getting to the point where they need to be getting married because they're getting too old to not be married. In the 80s, being 18 was not you're getting too old and you got to be married by now. Um, and so, like, you know people in their 30s were getting too old not to be married nowadays it's I just don't get married well this is a, this is in the <laughs> years after after Greece comes out and you have some of the oldest people playing teenagers sure yeah <laughs> what was going on back then you yeah know? it's it's the trend and I feel like it's it's a funny thing that people joke about now but yeah if you were playing a high school kid in the 80s there's a chance that you were in your 30s so this is, you know, just par for the course. So, I guess we're defending Dick Buckus's yeah. uh, performance then. I wanted to mention... He did a good job. And I think he did a great job because of, also, in this version, they kind of fleshed out the characters a lot more and kind of made him a little bit bumbling, you know? Mm-hmm. And he was really good at kind of being the bumbling brawny guy like he's not too smart but he's he's got the muscle you know well and and so in addition to dick buckus playing brom bones we have paul sand who's playing basically his side sidekick frederick ducher and <laughs> the character that's not in the book um or in most of the other versions they for this tv version they made they basically added a lot of extra story and a lot of extraneous characters into the plot. And this is one of them. But the reason why I even, I mean, I want to talk about a little bit, the cast a little bit more, but the reason why I bring him up specifically is that he was in an episode of Erie, Indiana, um, where he plays an, uh, a brilliant professor who basically zapped his own brain because he had dangerous knowledge and, he runs around yelling my Sharona because his somehow his memories are on a my Sharona eight track. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a pretty entertaining episode and a call callback to something that we covered this year. Um, and he was in lots of television. He did uh, a stint on Murder She Wrote, like you do if you're mm-hmm. an actor in the eighties. And yeah. um, he's just another kind of character actor that you you'd probably recognize if you were watching a lot of things in the eighties. You'd be like, oh, that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he does he does a good job. He kind of seems like somebody. He's again. Kind, there's a lot of over the top performances in this. So you could almost see 
this version lending itself to being a little bit cartoon-like. I yeah, like. for mm-hmm. sure. And especially his role. And he does it really well. A very physical humor that he does very well. Yeah, he's he's um, also got a very expressive face. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it, everything he's thinking is always painted right on top of his face. It's, it's wonderful. And I mean, he's taking place of the entire Brom Bones gang. So, mm-hmm. yeah, he's, he's really got to cover a lot of ground there. We have James Griffith, who looked familiar to me. He um, plays Katrina's father in this, as they call him Squire Van Tassel, but also known as Baltus Van Tassel. He's a seasoned veteran actor, and he does a good job as well. He's, you know, sort of the the de facto leader of the region because he's kind of the most wealthy guy, and so he's looked up to. He's not, but he's not like someone who who uh, lords his wealth and land over everybody else. He's just sort of like a respected town elder type. Um, and we've got lots of other... Oh, I need to mention... So those guys are all the, like, actual characters from the actual story. With the exception of Frederick Tucher, yes. Who kind of is, because he plays the role of the entire Brom Bones gang. And so, in addition to that, we have... The Dumpkey family, or yeah, Dumpkey, not Dumpkey. Sorry. Dumpkey. Uh, and we have uh, we have these characters. One is named Thelma, and then her father is. Do we get a first name for her dad, Mister Dumpkey? Oh, he's not Mister Dumpkey. Dumpkey was. Oh, Dumpkey her was her husband. Sorry. She's a widow. And she's the first a widow, thing right? when we first come into this film. Um, and she's a little boy. It's Ichabod being chased by dogs. Turns out it's Brom Bones dogs. Um, and we get a great line when finally he falls out of the branch and he says, turns out they just wanted to lick me. <laughs> <laughs> In a very Jeff Goldblum, like, deadpan. <laughs> <laughs> really, this, this is worth a watch just to... I mean, if you just fast forward to each jeff goldblum line it's it's pretty good there are but I, there's a lot of great it's stuff actually in here. surprising to me because a lot of times when you see an actor early in their career and they're doing things like um television series or tv movies they haven't fully i don't know fleshed out who they're known for because a lot of famous actors they become this character that's sort of they're, I hate to say the word brand, that's kind of what they are. And they're known for being a certain way and people have them in mind when they put them in roles instead of them being a chameleon and working their way. You know, they're not doing the Gary Oldman thing where he just transforms for for a movie. But Jeff Goldblum is already really established in the mannerisms and line delivery that he would be known for for pretty much the rest of his career up into today. And, and it kind of surprised me. It had been a while since I'd seen this. And I was like, God, he really just is fully himself in so many scenes in this. Especially when he's teaching class. Because Ichabod Crane, in the story and in this film and every version, he's, you know, the schoolmaster. He's brought to Sleepy Hollow to come teach the youngsters. And so he, you know, is always often seen in the schoolhouse. And they actually show scenes of him giving lessons and the lessons were actually, they show him talking about the earth and um, he's got a globe out and he's showing everybody. Explaining gravity. Right, explaining <laughs> gravity. Which my note was science. Yeah, that's. Says, if, 
the world spins faster, we would just fly off. Mm-hmm. It's a very, it's like classic Jeff Goldblum. Like these moments where he's teaching, it just seems like if Jeff Goldblum was teaching this class. And I have to mention, there is an owl that lives in the schoolhouse. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's a little problematic. He's named, they think he's the reincarnation of a a local native chief. And so they call him, they call the owl chief. Chief running buffalo. Or just chief for short. But the owl is really beautiful. And it's in, it's a live, you know, real owl. And they, my favorite thing is that when things happen in the schoolhouse that are either spooky or a weird conversation happens between two characters, they cut to reaction shots from the owl. (laughs) (laughs) things is when you have animal reaction shots they do multiple who jokes oh yeah oh god there's there is so much wordplay like alliteration in this movie i'm gonna ask i mean i I mean i've got notes on some of those but i was gonna get into it when we get a little further into the plot but andy did you get a wannabe Shakespeare comedy vibe from this at all? Kind of, yeah. It it, it definitely had like a, a weird comedy of errors, look at how funny we're being with our wordplay kind of vibe to it. Well, um, in the end with All's Well That Ends Well, which is one of the the classic problem plays of, of Shakespeare, and it involves a plot where somebody wants to marry somebody who doesn't want to marry them. And then there's plotting to get, I mean, we'll get there, but like right. there's, there's definitely, it's very Shakespeare. Somebody had those things in mind. I and think there's multiple Shakespeare quotes. The, the, yeah. I, they're, they're, they're sprinkled throughout the movies. So I think whoever wrote this was a big fan of Shakespeare. Right. Uh, yeah, I couldn't find any background information to confirm that, but that just, it really seems that way. So anyways, we were trying to mention, Oh, we're um, talking about Thelma Dunn. Thelma well, Dumkey and yeah, her father and her son. Before we even know who Thelma Dumkey is, uh, Fritz Vanderhoff is Thelma Dumkey's father. father. And we meet him long before Thelma because he comes and saves Ichabod from Brom Bones, who's harassing him because Brom Bones just harasses anybody that's tall and skinny. That's just what he does. <laughs> he just um, doesn't like him a jerk uh and so he gets saved when uh mr vanderhoff comes by in his sleigh because everyone has sleighs because it's set in winter again um and he's telling him oh you're the new school let me get you in you know let me fix this uh i'll bring oh you know your clothes isn't good let my my daughter fix those you know wife's uh widows make the best wives yeah <laughs> He's just right trying, off the bat, yeah. he's trying to get his his widow daughter to get married again. I, you wouldn't be so thin if you had a woman to cook for you. And he's, he's quite the character. He has a very expressive kind of cartoonish face himself. And I um and and one thing I want to mention is Ichabod goes and 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 visits them quite a bit. And in in the original story, different um different farmers in the community take turns kind of putting up the the schoolmaster or having him come over for dinner. Basically the community tries to kind of support him because they, uh, a teacher didn't make kind of like now we didn't make a lot of money. So the community would kind of pitch in and try to, you know, which is a real thing they did. Yeah. Assist in the comfort of their living. So 
they this family is especially kind of taking him under their wing, but um, there's a comment later where Katrina's asking her dad, you know, why are we the last family to um, give him room and board? And the father, you know, Baltus Van Tassel says, well, you know, I want to feel him out and see how he is because in this particular version, there have been a series of, of schoolmasters that have come to teach and they've all kind of just lost their marbles over paranormal happenings, supposedly, or maybe just continued harassment. It sounds like Brom Bones has basically chased off every teacher that was I, there. I think maybe Katrina has a thing for the intellectual types mm -hmm. and Brom Bones is trying to wed Katrina so therefore, Brom Bones is driving all the teachers insane. The most, the the most recent person that he was replacing was an instructor by the name of Winthrop Palmer, and he comes into play later in the plot. But uh, he was played by Michael Rudd, and he was supposedly went mad and fell into the river. Like, well, he, he went was off the chased off a cliff by the headless horseman. That's yeah. And drowned in the river. And I thought it was kind of interesting, too. In this story, they imply that the town believes in ghosts, but Ichabod does not. And in the original story and in other versions, Ichabod is super into witchcraft and the occult and fascinated with ghost stories and a little bit of a superstitious guy. He gets freaked out, but he's more of a science-minded guy. He's not willing to just readily believe the local lore about the Headless Horseman. Mm -hmm. He's an intellectual. Yes. Sure. <laughs> and we learn that we, we learn as things go on that as because um, they're basically it comes down to there's in this version. This is not part of the original story. So there's basically two eligible men in town and two eligible women in town. And the eligible women would be uh, the widow Dumpke and Katrina Van Tassel. And then you have Brom Bones and Ichabod Crane. And we we learn as the story goes on that um, Thelma Dumke, who's played by Laura Campbell, and a very attractive woman, is very much head over heels in love with Brom Bones, but he apparently just doesn't have eyes for anybody but Katrina. And it doesn't seem to be about the money or the status either. It's just that, like, he's decided that that's who he wants and that's his prize and that she should be his. And she has kind of flirted with him and enjoyed his attention in the past, but she was never real serious about him. But this other, this character that they brought in for this story is, and this is very Shakespearean. It kind of reminds me of um, A Midsummer Night's Dream where you have the whole, it's like, um, I'm trying to remember the names of the characters. Um, you have Hermia is the unrequited love of one of the other male characters. And anyway, there's, there's a lot of like partner Swaps, like this person's in love with this person and that person doesn't want that person and this this plot is so much like that as far as with the human couples that are in Midsummer Night's Dream but she um so she's she's would like she would like to be with Brom Bones and her father's trying to push her towards Ichabod and um and also and Katrina likes Ichabod but Katrina's father thinks all these school house guys are nuts and he's worried that shouldn't this, be yeah. dealt with and so her father's trying to get katrina to go with brom bones he's worried that this is going to be another another kook you know as right. he puts it he's he's worried that he's gonna he's gonna be 
mentally ill like the other ones. And he did, he doesn't attribute it to something's happening to the schoolmasters. He definitely thinks that, oh, there must be something about teachers that they're just mm. a bit nutty. And um, and so... So the only two people in the story that agree is Katrina and Ichabod in this version. Well, yeah. so, so Thelma's father is plotting to actually he's basically kind of gaslighting Ichabod just slightly because he wants Ichabod to seem nuts so that Baltus won't agree to a marriage between Katrina and Ichabod. And then he can have Ichabod as a son-in-law instead. And there's any, even he, even you can see him work out this plot, which is the one part I don't get. Why would that guy want Ichabod as his son-in-law? I mean, he seems to like him, but I don't understand why. I guess he figures Brom Bones is a lost cause. I think he wants just a husband, but he right. figures Brom Bones a lost cause Isn't because he's around. obsessed with right. Katrina. Yeah. So I think what's happening is he's just like, well, Ichabod is available. And it doesn't matter what the women want in this story, you know? So he's just, he's and like. And also, Brom Bones, again, an idiot, because Thelma is a very attractive woman who's into him and like can totally hold her own in every shape or form. Yeah. There's that one scene where, like, Brom Bones and his gang of one are sitting there trying to saw logs, and uh, what's the character's name? Frederick. Frederick, the gang of one. Mm -hmm. uh, he can't keep up with Brom Bones on the other end of a, a misery whip, is what it's called. It's a very long saw. Um it's an appropriate name. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it is a misery. Um, and then so she like pushes him out of the way and she takes over sawing and is like overworking Brom Bones. So she's able to like hold her own and do all the work that he can do and everything. And she is not an unattractive woman by any means. But yeah, Brom Bones just doesn't figure that one out. I know, right? Well, and in the midst of all this romantic plotting, Winthrop Palmer keeps appearing to Ichabod. Only to Ichabod. Only to Ichabod, and also the owl. Mm. <laughs> the owl is not saying anything. That's true. <laughs> and, and so people start to think, oh, he's, you know, he's right. going the way of he's the other schoolmasters. He's seen Winthrop Palmer's ghosts. Mm -hmm. And so that's, and then we, we have... The two, the two principal women get involved in, they, they start talking to each other and realizing that um, they're not wanting to compete for the same men. And, you know, Thelma's really frustrated with Katrina because she feels like Katrina wants to string along the only two eligible guys. And she really, she really wants to be with Brom. And Katrina admits that she is not that interested in Brom, that she really would prefer to be with Ichabod, that he's way more her type. And so the women decide to hatch a plot to get their way. And it wasn't really clear on how that was working or... Yeah, they don't really tell like, you what their plot was. There's, a, there's some moments in this where it's it just seems... There's some like little, not major plot holes, but there's just like little moments of like, okay, are you going in this direction? And then it doesn't go in that direction. So I, I thought there'd be subsequent plotting or that maybe they were going to do something with a headless horseman costume and work things to their advantage, but it never really comes to anything. 
other than spoilers, they get their way in the end. So yeah, because... kind of not due to anything either of them did. Yeah, it's a little disappointing because I kind of thought, well, if you're going to well, go that a... route, flush it out. Yeah, for a little bit, I thought maybe that Katrina was the headless horseman, but then we'll get into it later. She's not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, and then we have a really crazy... You, you guys ready to talk about the crazy party? Sure. Let's get into it. So, like, every version of the story has a party right. that happens that's sort of the catalyst for, like, you know, later the scary night ride home where Ichabod's pursued by the Headless Horseman. But in this version, instead of being a harvest party, it's just a winter party of some sort, and they're planning to announce... Um, Baltus Van Tassel's like, oh, we'll announce an engagement. And Ichabod assumes that he's giving the blessing for him to ask for Katrina's hand. But I think he's planning to have Brom be the, you know, the person who marries his daughter. But it's, anyway, there's there's the behind the scenes plotting with, with the relationships going on. But there's kind of this great scene where um, Thelma's little boy and is it um, Katrina's, little brother yeah yeah they're buddies and they decide to take a dress form and make a headless horseman mannequin and they stick a candle in the top of the neck and light it and put it outside the party window which i think is awesome because it's like oh if somebody did that at a halloween party or harvest party i was out i feel like that's that's great and and everybody sees it and screams and then um so everybody's a little bit tense the kids get caught and and they get told that you know they can either get basically a beating or do dishes <laughs> I think <laughs> yeah you can go to the kitchen or you can go to the woodshed right we're gonna cut you a switch <laughs> yeah when they're actually plotting it the one kid the the one kid that doesn't want to do it says uh yeah, but your pa will kill you. And he says, oh, I'll tell him that you did it. But my <laughs> pa will kill me. You tell her I did it. <laughs> Is Solid it, logic. Yeah, re really strong kid logic. Yeah, and so, so that's fun. And then the party turns into, like, the food fight scene in Animal House, practically, because um, we have what he thinks is the ghost of Winthrop Palmer pops into the window and grins at Ichabod and Ichabod startled backs into a table full of food, which gets Brom messed up. And so then Brom proceeds to a very violent reaction, which culminates with after the whole house has basically been destroyed. And this is Baltus Van Tassel's house, the guy whose daughter he wants to marry. He chucks Ichabod out the window <laughs> and breaks the glass. And okay, I know this is just an 80s TV movie, but, like, wasn't glass really expensive back then? I feel like if you had <laughs> windows in um, 1790 that were glass, like, you paid a premium price for those. And they yell at Ichabod after this and tell him to leave. Not Brom, who broke their window. Mm -hmm. In addition to all the other stuff he smashed on purpose in rage when Ichabod backed into the table by accident. <laughs> just like, what? Did you guys, the characters in the story, not just see what we just saw? Yeah, Ichabod started it. I guess. Clearly. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so, the the ghost of ex-school, schoolhouse Palmer 
throughout the the show that we're watching, it keeps getting implied that Ichabod's catching on and belie- not believing he's a ghost and is trying to say that, no, he's alive and he's the one that's pretending to be the headless horseman. Um, you know, because he's reasoning with logic that he didn't actually see a ghost and there's a real man running around. Well, and Palmer tells him that he's out to get Brom Bones, that he's out on a revenge mission. Right, but also very... Palmer tells him that he's dead and alive and neither at the same time, and he he's d- lost his marble. Yeah, and he, and he, I, I really kind of enjoy this guy's performance because he has an excellent maniacal laugh, <laughs> and he's just playing kind of a jovial, crazy man. I kind of feel like he would do a good job playing... Um, playing sort of like in a Dickens Christmas Carol where you have the ghost of Christmas present. Like oh, I think yeah. he would make a good ghost of Christmas present. Oh yeah. But he, yeah. So he, um, as, as after the, in the party aftermath, he is planning to go, I think harass Brom bones, but he gets caught up. He's trying, is he trying to drop something on him? He ends up getting caught in a rope in a bar. Yeah. He tries to kill Brom bones. Um, there's actually a lot of, implication that people are trying to kill each other but with no consequence to it it's very like a cartoon because yeah, there's, there's a lot of attempted murder but not a lot of actual murder <laughs> well brom bones is under the impression that he did murder winthrop palmer because i hate and to spoil this for that. you but uh the headless horseman that chased him off the cliff was brom bones mm-hmm. yeah he's got a whole outfit and a and a routine right um and and so he so he's he tries to kill Brom Bones by dropping something on his head, but then he gets caught up in the rope that was attached to it and hangs himself upside down in the barn. Not in a fatal way. He's like hung by the foot. Yeah. And he gets he gets found by uh, Baltus Van Tassel, and while he's found, Ichabod sees Brom Bones pretending to be the headless horseman. Right. And he, and then there's a second headless horseman that appears. Right. So Ichabod gets scared of the first headless horseman. That's Brom Bones. Then a second one appears, and Brom Bones yells out, "You're on your own. It's the real headless horseman." To which now Ichabod's like, "No, wait." Which I love that he like believed the first one, but then. <laughs> that Brom Bones is scared of. He's like, oh, wait, no, that's right. It's just Winthrop Palmer, that's all. And so in in kind of a twist, he pursues the Headless Horseman, yelling after him not to pursue Brom Bones. So he's trying to get him to stop his revenge plot. And he's so he's chasing the Headless Horseman. Right. Which, if he realized that it really was the Headless Horseman, he would be terrified and not be pursuing him. But he pursues him and... Eventually, um, the real headless horseman chucks a jack o' lantern at, Brom, at Bones. Brom Bones, and then Brom Bones is off his horse and revealed to be faking you know, the headless horseman right in front of Thelma and her father. Mm-hmm. To which their reaction is to blackmail Brom Bones because now they know that he's the one that attempted the murder or murdered because they don't know that. Uh, 
that Palmer's, Palmer's alive. alive. Yeah. <laughs> so they know that he murdered a guy. So they're like, all right, perfect. We'll blackmail you into being the husband. <laughs> yeah, they just won't tell anybody if he's part of the family. That's right. <laughs> uh, so it's not that Brom Bones came around. It's that Brom Bones got duped into a shotgun wedding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then, and then you know, because... Because Palmer's revealed to be alive, uh, Squire Van Tassel no longer thinks that Ichabod is nuts, and he consents, because he likes Ichabod otherwise, he consents right. to... He just doesn't want a kook in the family. Yeah, he, consen- he consents to um, him being allowed to court Katrina, and Ichabod shows up and is told all this information after he's, you know, tried to pursue what was really the headless horseman and he's very confused when he's told that oh no we found palmer in the barn he was hanging upside down and he starts to kind of babble and say but i was chasing him he was on a horse and katrina shuts him up and is like no no we just convinced dad that you're not crazy (laughs) to which i thought like oh katrina was pretending to be the headless horseman to like you know get all this into play that was like the two girls plot but mm-hmm. then it cuts to a scene of the headless horseman in the background yeah. like cackling yeah and <laughs> right after right after Ichabod says all's well that ends well which I don't know if they just like tacked that on because they decided that the headless horseman needed to be real or, or I'm not what? sure I mean in the in the original Washington Irving story it's heavily implied that it was Brom the whole time and in a lot of other film versions there's they like to play it both ways where Brom is pretending to be the headless horseman but there also is a headless horseman but this gives a happy ending and kind of defangs what I like about the story because in in the original story Katrina and Ichabod do not end up together Ichabod has his fateful night ride where he's being pursued by the headless horseman and all they find are you know like they find an article of clothing belonging to him a smashed bridle and a pieces of a pumpkin so right. they speculate and no one knows they speculate that he was just scared off and ended up relocating to another town which seems really likely or some people think he was spirited especially away. if brom like it's not implied that brom would murder him if it was him as the headless horseman that he just wanted to run him off because he didn't want the competition and and so and this is again this is what's in the text and in a lot of the other versions he is it's implied though that like you know, maybe he met a bad end, though. If the ghost was real, then Ichabod's possibly dead. Um, so it's interesting because, you know, the the Tim Burton version that we mentioned earlier takes a lot of liberties and adds a whole murder plot into the story and adds more elements of witchcraft. But it does it so in a way that's really enjoyable and I feel like augments the spookiness of the original story. And this this is more like... Well, we it's wanted a Tim to do Tim Burton film, so they had to give the character a father. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tim I had Burton to have has some, to give everybody a father. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, but this this version is much more like we want to take we want to take the story of Sleepy Hollow and make it into kind of a period piece rom com. 
which is it's enjoyable though it's fun but it, it definitely you know there's lots right. of characters and plot that's not in the original story and as long as we're mentioning the the Shakespearean rom-com that has lots of wordplay. One of my favorites that I wrote down was Ichabod asks Thelma's father, I keep forgetting his name, that because uh, he's telling him what happened to the last school teacher and how Brom Bones, you know, beat him up and chased him out, basically. And he says, are you saying that he assaulted the last school teacher? Says, Assaulted, assaulted, a peppered, and a roasted. Well, and also, <laughs> last school teacher, I think all of the school teachers, and I also didn't get the impression that Palmer had designs on Katrina. Like, for all we know, they may have just had a com- polite conversation one day, and that mm-hmm. was enough. But yeah, um, they the, just don't like book learning in those parts. Thelma's father's name is is in the character in the story is Fritz Vanderhoff, and so I wanted to make a dumb joke of: Do we think that he is the ancestor of Noah Vanderhoff of Noah's Arcades? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh god. <laughs> I had to. It's a Wayne's World reference <laughs> in there. <laughs> For anyone that didn't catch that. Um. Anyways. <laughs> great wordplay in this a lot of it too if you're into some good puns and a good uh owl saying who gag yeah the owl jokes are, are totally the kind that would make you groan but the owl is beautiful and it's just it's fun it's that classic owl in a schoolhouse or owl as teacher kind of joke and then there's even a moment where there's a decoy owl, which is never explained. Like, you yeah, know, no, to make him seem crazy. Oh, so somebody put it in the, in right, the schoolhouse. Okay. Brom Bones and his gang of one. And that's actually in the, the Washington Irving original story is they make the schoolhouse topsy-turvy. So it looks like a whole bunch of ghosts and, and witches came in there and, yeah, and ruffled everything up. Moment. But in the in the original story, they just do that to make it seem like his house was messed up. Where in this one, they mess up the house so that he goes and tells people his house or his schoolhouse got messed up, and then they quick straighten the schoolhouse back out again <laughs> so that it's like prim and proper. Yeah. So that when he brings people over to show the damage that has been done, there's no damage. Well, and also right in front of his eyes, like the door was opening and shutting and furniture was moving but then he goes he calls to the owl because i don't know if he thinks the owl is gonna protect him or help him or i maybe think they just have conversations just like, at this point like, hey, him and the owl and and then he looks up in the rafters and this this decoy owl falls from the from the rafters of the schoolhouse so it was, it was kind of a, a weird moment yeah but yeah it's it's fun it's by far not the best version of this story but it's a right. good it's a good entertaining one and if you and i think for me i would recommend it just if for the jeff, the Gold, jeff goldblum jeff goldblum's performance if you're a fan of jeff goldblum this is definitely something i'd recommend if you're not a fan of jeff goldblum then you probably want to skip this like if you find his kind of right persona and mannerisms obnoxious then don't watch this <laughs> um, because it's him and his i mean it's it's centered around him he's the main character and he's gold blooming all over the place on this i love that that's a verb mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's a bit of a slow burn too. I mean, it's it's a '80s, but I mean 1980s, so it's a '70s slow burn kind of a thing because it's not really like a horror film or anything necessarily. It's just kind of it's a spooky atmosphere in the background rom com kind of a movie. You yeah. could watch this kids but and they they would totally be fine with it but they might be bored because of the pacing yeah they'd be bored out of their minds i don't not, know i mean it, the... it, it seems like every 10 minutes or so that brahm or ichabod does something slapstick and stupid though so you know kids might like it yeah uh, I, yeah i think they would i think it'd be one of those things where they'd like come in and out of the room and then a little bit and they're like oh there's too much talking or lots of lots of gratuitous shots of snow or something and that's not to say don't watch this it's just you know it's it's TV movies in the late seventies and eighties often had a slower pace. Um, and this isn't, you know, there's other versions that of this that are, are a little bit tighter or have more action. Right. So it's still pre MTV. Yeah. MTV and the music Just video barely. shortened the attention span of people watching all of us, uh, film <laughs> things. Visual moving media has changed entirely after the MTV generation. So, Andy, did you have any anything else that you want to discuss, or your final thoughts and impressions? Um, you know, overall, I wasn't I wasn't sure what to expect going into this movie because I I knew literally nothing about it other than that it had been made. Um, so I w- <laughs> I was shocked and delighted in the first scene where I was like, wait a second, that looks like Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you didn't even know Jeff Goldblum was in it? No, I, I had no idea. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so I was pretty much sold after that first scene where he, he like gets down out of the tree and he's like, oh, they just wanted to lick me. <laughs> um, yeah. It, um, it, was, it was interesting. It's definitely the strangest interpretation I've seen, and that's saying something considering the Tim Burton movie. Um, mm-hmm. But it was still a lot of fun. I liked the take they had on it. And um, I, I'd, I'd recommend it to anybody who doesn't mind a little bit of slow pacing, a little bit of, of, of goofy, not complete nonsense, but not totally, you know, a, not a totally cogent story either. So, yeah, I think I, I kind of think it might be fun this time of year, depending on how much free time somebody has to watch a few different versions of this story and compare or read the original short story and watch a couple versions or, you know, do an audiobook version. I think it's roughly like an hour for an audiobook version of the tale. And if you sit down and actually read the story, it's, um, it's, I think it's like roughly 25 pages long, depending on, you know, how it was published and printed, not super long. We have a, we have a print edition of it that has some other Washington Irving stories in it. And he did several ghost and supernatural things. He did Rip Van Winkle as one of his stories. Um, he, uh, one of my favorites of his is, uh, it's a really, really creepy story called The Adventure of the German Student. And it's about a man who's traveling from Germany to France just post the French Revolution. And he meets a weeping woman near the guillotine and falls in love with her and, and, gruesome tragedy ensues <laughs> I, won't spoil, I won't spoil that one for you because it's, it's probably fairly easy to find and there have been lots of different print versions of it and it's a it's a really quick read but if you like if you like macabre ghost stories that's that's one of my favorites I think I first read that one as a kid and was 
completely traumatized by it. And, you know, that's how you make a horror fan. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) anyway, um, yeah, I think we're probably ready to wrap up, but I wanted to wish all of our listeners a very happy Halloween. We hope you have a safe and spooky season. And before we go, I had a couple things I wanted to promote. Um, Drew and I recently participated in um, what's known as the Spooky Flicks Fest over on the Retro Movie Geek podcast. They have been doing this for years, where they every October they do a week weekly episode on something horror related, and they usually bring in guests. And the last several years, they've actually had a theme for each October. They did a um, like a creepy dolls one a couple years ago and that was a lot of fun and they covered both some television shows and movies and I think let's see last year was I believe it was science fiction um science fiction horror themed and so I was actually a guest last year for an episode that they did on the movie Mimic and this year Drew and I were together doing a short bonus episode where we got to talk about ginger snaps because they're doing werewolves this year so They'll be doing all kinds of coverage of werewolf movies. And in addition to that, um, they have a, well, Joel of Retro Movie Geek and his uh, friend Hammond are doing an in-depth podcast review of the 1987 uh, television show Werewolf, which was about, I believe it's a a series about a police officer. I've listened to a few of, of their episodes and they go... You know, they do a lot of background and discuss each episode, and I think it's great. And it's it's a series that I personally intend to catch up with. But um, I think as Drew was saying, he's like, wait, is this Wolf Cop before Wolf Cop? <laughs> Proto-Wolf Cop. Yeah. Um, and so I can't really speak to that because we haven't watched the series. It's I am, We have watched Wolf Cop, and it's amazing, and you should watch it. Werewolf is presented in a serious fashion and is reported to have some really decent wolf special effects. So, I think Wolf Cop's pretty serious. Oh, do you? Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's cool. Liquor donuts. Liquor donuts. Yeah. So if you if you're a fan of werewolf related horror, you definitely want to check out the offerings coming from Retro Movie Geek this year. Um, the hosts of that show have been really supportive of our show, and I also somewhat regularly podcast with both Peter and Joel from Retro Movie Geek on a sidecast that they have called Terror on the Tube, where we do kind of a television movie roulette where things are picked at random and then we watch them usually going in blind. Although if you're familiar with the show, you'll know that often I've seen it before, which is kind of a running gag now, I guess. And the last two episodes, Drew was on as a guest with us, and we covered two Susan Lucci movies. Which I'm the Susan Lucci expert. <laughs> apparently, <laughs> which was a hoot. We did, um, this summer, we did an episode on um, Invitation to Hell, which is a campy television movie favorite of mine from the 80s. And then we watched something I'd never seen before, and I'm pretty sure Drew'd never seen before, called Haunted by Her Past, which was basically like, a Harlequin crappy romance novel masquerading as a supernatural Ugh. story. I still enjoyed it. It was fun, but awkward. <laughs> it was a pretty crappy So movie. those are, I'll post links to where you can find those things in our show notes for this episode on the haunteddavenport.com 
so that if you you know want to hear a little bit more from from Drew and myself, or you want to hear some more television talk, or you want to hear some werewolf talk, because I, I recommend all of those things. And not just because they're our friends. I was listening to Retro Movie Geek and loving their Spooky Flicks Fest for years before um, we ever got to know Joel. So Or even start podcasting. Right, right. Yeah, they've been, they've been doing this a really long time. In fact, before they were even known as the Retro Movie Geek podcast, but um, I'm not going to go into that. <laughs> Other other good offerings this time of year, um, one of my favorite podcasts, the Talk Without Rhythm podcast, always does a 31 Days of Halloween, and the host, El Goro, usually picks things that he's never seen before, and he does mini-reviews on first-time watches, as well as Halloween-themed full episodes. So I'll post a link to that, too, because if you're looking for more Halloween content and you're a cinephile, it's a great show. Totally recommend it. And then personal favorite and also friends of our show horror movie podcast always puts out some great spooky themed episodes this time of year and they have a full archive so you can do past years they've done full franchise coverages for the month of october they did a really great 80s slasher series for halloween about three four years ago and um, this year they're kind of doing like reminiscing at the movies and doing some nostalgia things and having some great discussions there. So I will also post a link to that in case you're not already familiar with that show. Um, so. Well, and check out our past Halloween episode. Yeah. I, I, I mean, we just have one <laughs> other than this one, but I feel like it was a great one. And it, we had Chris with us. So it's especially dear to us and you know it's been a little over a year since we lost Chris and this was his favorite time of year and so you know a nice way to honor him might be to go check that episode out if you haven't already and he was an integral part of the show and we miss him and you know we just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge that he was important an important presence and a friend in our lives and you know this was this was his favorite season. So the king of the Halloween yeah. costume. Yeah. Yeah, he was the king of the Halloween costume. All right, guys. Well, Andy, anything you wanted to share, promote? Any spooky related stuff? Ooh, nothing spooky really. Just, you know, even if you're not gonna go out or go to a party, it's still nice to be able to dress up on Halloween. I actually for the first time in maybe fifteen years, I actually put together a complete costume just in time Ooh. for it to be canceled by COVID, but I will still be wearing it because, you know. Uh, can, you, can you tell us what it is? I want to oh, see pictures. Oh, yeah, I just I, I just whipped together a little cowboy costume because, you know, cowboys. Yeah. I, got, I got a very nice hat. Um, so because, you're saying you're going to be Cowboy Andy? I might be <laughs> Cowboy Andy. Um Unfortunately, I didn't. I didn't follow his look. That might be for a different year, because he um he's based heavily on oh crap, I forget who directed it, but he's based heavily on the spaghetti western. Um, sure. Yeah, the the man with no name. But you're gonna be a cowboy, and you're Andy. Yeah. But I based my look on Lee Van Cleef's look, so you know that's that's where I'm coming from. Gotcha. And then some year that baseball fury costume has to happen. It's gonna have to. I mean, I I've been I've been trying it for so long. It just one year it's gonna come together and it's gonna work for me. <laughs> nice. I look forward to it. And since you know we're all still socially distancing for Halloween, um, I I definitely need to see. You'll have to shoot me some pictures via phone. We're going to be um, doing a socially distant. We'll, we have our our usual cemetery display, which I might 
post pictures in the show notes in case anybody's or just curious the to see. Instagram page. Yeah, we actually created an Instagram for our little our little yard haunt. Um, and it's uh, the Clark Memorial Gardens. So if you're an Instagrammer, you can find us on Instagram under Clark Memorial Gardens. And um, occasionally we work on, you know, DIY props and that kind of thing. So if you're interested in lots of Halloween all year round, that that might be something you want to check out. But um, we won't be offended if you hmm. don't. Uh, we're going to do uh, some socially distant candy distribution where we're going to have a long candy shoot in which to drop candy into trick-or-treaters buckets because we have a lot of kids in the neighborhood and I'm pretty sure there's still going to be some trick-or-treating and we um, kind of weighed the pros and cons and figured we wanted to still make a Halloween offering and make it special for the neighborhood but do it in the safest way possible so we'll be all masked up and we'll have our um, trick-or-treat tube and we there's lots of other haunters that are taking this route and it seems like a really great way to you know make a special event but keep it a lot safer and and low contact so everyone's yeah. getting halloween themed hand sanitizer <laughs> no. <laughs> no we'll do our usual treat bags sealed up in a little bag but yeah it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a little different this year but we're gonna power through and mm-hmm. we're actually gonna have some broadcast uh, Halloween and spooky sound effects radio this year that people can hear if they come by in person or if they drive by in the car, they can pick up on their car. And if we get it together, we might post a playlist in our feed so people can check it out. All right. so. It's KIRP 103.1. <laughs> yeah, Drew, Drew's already preparing for his, his DJ cut-in moments. Well, it's, it's some of the yeah. most fun you can have, honestly. And and just to be clear, this is a candy a candy shoot, C-H-U-T-E, not like a candy launcher. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be fun, too. <laughs> this is loud laughing. Um, <laughs> Yeah, All right, kid, hold that bag open. Here it comes. <laughs> we will not be t-shirt cannoning treats at the trick-or-treaters, although that would be hilarious. It's like in UHF. Oh you God. get a drink from the fire hose. <laughs> <laughs> man. Oh, man. All righty. Well, so many 90s movie references tonight, huh? Yeah, that's, that's where we're at. <laughs> All right, guys. Well... A big hearty happy Halloween from all of us at the Haunted Davenport and check back with us next month for another spooky episode. <laughs> Just gather around and I'll elucidate on what goes on outside when it gets late. Long about midnight, the ghosts and banshees, they get together for their nightly jamboree. There's things with horns and saucer eyes, some with fangs about this side. Some are fat, and some are thin. And some don't even wear their skin. Oh, I'm telling you, brother, it's a frightful sight to see what goes on Halloween night. But when spooks are having a jamboree, they break it up with English glee. Ghosts are bad, but the one that's cursed is the head. This horseman, he's the worst. That's why he's a kind on Halloween night. When he goes to jogging across the land, holding a noggin in his hand, demons take one look and groan, and they hit the road for far to know. Beware, take care, he rides alone. And there's no spook like spooked spur. They don't like him, and he's really burned. He swears to the 
longest day he's dead, he'd show them that he can get ahead. They say he's tired of his flaming top, he's got a yen to make a swap. So he rides one night each year to find a head in the hollow here. Figure out a plan You can't reason with a headless 